Support for the Lincoln Project podcast comes from Odoo. If you feel like you're wasting time and money with your current business software, or just want to know what you could be missing, then you need to join the millions of other users who've switched to Odoo. Odoo is the affordable, all-in-one management software with a library of fully integrated business applications that help you get more done in less time for a fraction of the price. To learn more, visit odoo.com Lincoln. That's O-D-O-O dot com slash Lincoln. Odoo, modern management made simple. Hey gang, it's Reed. Before we get started, I just want to say thank you again for listening, and I hope that you will share the Lincoln Project podcast and our mission to protect American democracy with your friends, your family, and your colleagues. To get more information, please go to lincolnproject.us and sign up to be a supporter today. And now, on with the show. Welcome back to The Lincoln Project. I'm your host, Reed Galen. Today, I'm joined by Jay McKenzie, the founder of the Did Nothing Wrong newsletter and podcast. Did Nothing Wrong seeks to make sense of the chaotic narratives that threaten to hijack our nation's discourse and politics. Today, he's coming to us from just outside Chattanooga, Tennessee. Jay, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. So Jay, first and foremost, Tell us a little bit about you. So before we started, you said you were, for the most part, born and raised in Chattanooga, lived there. How did you come to this line of work? And how did you come to the title, Did Nothing Wrong? Well, it was entirely by accident that I started doing this. I paid a lot of attention to the news during the 2016 campaign. And I thought, there's no way Trump's going to get elected. This just wouldn't happen. We're a civilized country. We wouldn't do that. And then he was elected. And pretty much a couple of weeks after the election, I got on Twitter and I decided that a country that can elect Trump with all the things that he said and did, there's something deeply wrong with it. And I got on Twitter to try and figure out how I could help and how I could make a difference and hopefully make sense of all of it. So I started researching. I looked at Trump's businesses. I looked at PACs and money coming into political campaigns. I started looking at Russian influence operations, all these sorts of things. And eventually, if you post enough material and enough material that people don't like on social media, you find, um, you find some trolls. You have a whole bunch of new friends. A lot of new friends. And they are coming out of nowhere, unexpectedly attacking you and criticizing you and saying untrue things about you. And so I started to deal with that more and more. And I really wanted to focus on work and helping out journalists and just doing something positive through my work. And the more I did that, the more I felt like I was attacked. And so I, I finally started looking at who are these people? Why are they doing this? What is the incentive behind this? What's the money that's financing these sorts of operations? Because some of these people are just mean people who just want to say hateful things anonymously on the internet. And some of them, it's more than that. So I started researching and helping people, helping journalists with their articles, with the work that they were doing. And I've been doing that for the last few years. And eventually it got to the point where I felt like I had to spend as much time sometimes explaining what I was doing as I was researching it. So I decided I'm going to start this newsletter. I'm going to start my own podcast and start explaining it to people as well as I know how. And so where did you come up with Did Nothing Wrong? Did Nothing Wrong, it's 
I think best known in our little world for Roger Stone wearing the t-shirt, Roger Stone did nothing wrong. <laughs> okay. But it's not just him. It's every single one of these people that are mostly part of the MAGA movement, but sometimes you get the hard right groups. But it's essentially, it doesn't matter what they did, what they're accused of, even if they're convicted, even if there's a felony conviction, they are adamant that they did nothing wrong. And that's the thing they take to social media. They make their t-shirts, they make their statements. He did nothing wrong. So I think for us, it was a matter of saying, well, I, I know you're going to say this, and I know it doesn't matter what you're accused of or what you do wrong. You're going to say, I did nothing wrong. And we thought we would catalog that and say, well, here's the wrong that you actually did do. Right. And just as a good example of that, I think it was last week, the guy who was photographed with his feet up on Nancy Pelosi's desk was convicted in federal court. And his attorney, after the fact, said, it was an accident. He was there, Jay. He was swept up and just happened to find himself in Nancy Pelosi's office. I mean, you do this all day, every day. You're neck deep in it. Sometimes it must amaze even you that there is literal photographic and sometimes video evidence of these acts. And they're like, not me. Nope, not me. It's amazing, but it speaks to the movement because they're less concerned about, did this person commit a crime? Did this person get convicted of something? They want you to be on message. The important thing is loyalty. They want their people to keep putting out whatever narrative, whatever spin they want to. And sometimes, eventually, you may end up with kind of a cult like QAnon or something that builds around Donald Trump because they refuse to ever criticize him for anything. So it's one, it's a way that each of these people defend themselves and say, oh, yeah, it wasn't me. I didn't do anything. But it's also concerning. It's scary. It's why can't we have discussions? Why can't we have disagreements and conversations where you can still support someone, but that thing he did over there, that was bad. That was wrong. I didn't like that. So I think about the trolls a little bit. I don't know if you remember the movie, The Matrix, when they got the ship in the underground tunnel and then they have those sentinels. And anytime they think they hear something, right? Their tentacles come out and they go, wah, 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 looking for stuff. And I feel like that's what the trolls are. But is there anything in particular you see that tends to activate that world more than anything else that draws the trolls out to you personally? Well, it's really any criticism you make. But what they really seem to hate more than anything is when you repeat their words back to them. Because a lot of times these guys, they don't like to have a record of things that they've done and said. And put out there. And if you honestly just pay attention to what they're doing, and if you keep a record of their deleted tweets or their recordings that they've deleted or the things that they were wrong about, and they don't want anyone to know that they were wrong about, that really seems to set them off. Well, I also I posted this video on TikTok of all places, Jay. You know, I said, let's talk about false equivalency in regards to the whole sort of confidential files deal that Trump is way over on one side of the spectrum and Biden is on another. But I also sort of extolled the virtues of Biden, both as an individual and as a leader. And I'll tell you that it has drawn all of these people just out of the woodwork. They desperately want the false equivalency. But also the other part too, you mentioned QAnon is that you see that some of the sort of QAnon adherents are activated as well. You know, he eats children, right? You know, he's a child and like all of that stuff. It's always about pedophilia. Yeah, it really always goes back to that for them. Well, which is, you know, you mentioned the Russian disinformation stuff too, which as I understand it, this sort of pedophile attack has been something that the Russians and Eastern Europeans have used for many years to try and discredit political opponents. And now, like so many other things, has made it really into, I don't even call it the extreme or MAGA, but really into the, the mainstream of Republican politics. It was extreme at one point at 2016 
2017, everything started to shift. And I think that's been something that I've watched develop and grow is, yeah, the kind of fusing of Republican MAGA talking points with Russian propaganda, pro-Kremlin messaging. At first, it was this fringe internet thing where you had to know the right accounts to go to. You had to check their profiles, their blogs, whatever. But over the years, it's just grown and grown and grown. And so much of it is similar. And yeah, with pedophilia, it's long been something the Russians do. And it's what's the worst thing you can be accused of being? Well, a pedophile. So they absolutely fall back on that. And it is a way to discredit anyone they don't like. Which is ironic, especially given how many members of the current Republican Party have been accused, indicted and or convicted of such a heinous crime. They never talk about that. It's crazy how those stories never seem to make it into their news cycle. But again, it's that reflective piece. So let's talk about that because, you know, we mentioned, you know, the Republican Party, which I grew up in and worked in, right, sort of pre-2015, is gone, right? It is a cinder, burnt to a crisp, turned into a pillar of salt, whatever biblical Old Testament reference you might want to use. There are those that are still pining for that day or they still have magical thinking. And I want to come back to that in a minute. But I want to talk about the sort of weaving together of the Republican Party, Trump, MAGA, QAnon, and all of this stuff as you see it. Are they allies of convenience? Has it, in your mind and in your research and your work, has it morphed into one sort of central channel and they all provide their own sort of communications for their own people? Like, how do you see it? I think they're all aware of what they're doing. I think there are accounts that mostly anonymous that push the QAnon material. Some of them are named, but mostly they're kind of staying in the background. I feel like a lot of the MAGA movement is QAnon light. They want to push a lot of the same themes, but they don't want to have that label attached to them. Because when you have that, oh, he's a QAnon follower, supporter attached to you, that's when you get deplatformed. That's when you stop being able to have access to payment processors and you get demonetized on YouTube. So it's not perfectly in sync, but I feel like it is very similar and they know what they're doing, but they're just trying very hard to keep the grift going, to keep the money flowing. And you do get a lot of overlap, especially with the, I know lately the anti-vax rhetoric has just been turned up so much and it has been so much of what they're focused on lately. And they all share that in common. And there are absolutely days where you look at Steve Bannon or Charlie Kirk and the messaging that they're putting out there. And it's really hard to tell it apart from QAnon. Let's spend a minute on the anti-vax thing. I mean, it goes back, look, we're headed towards in a few weeks here, three years since COVID really shut us down, right? March of 20. What in your mind is the source of the anti-vax stuff? Was Trump a progenitor of it, an accelerant of it? What was the genesis of that? And frankly, why? Well, I think if you look at Russia, Russia has always been pushing the anti-vax material. They've had conferences in Moscow. They've had people there. They used to have them on RT a lot, the Russian state TV, to amplify it. Russia absolutely didn't create it. Trump didn't create it. I, I feel like Trump, with any issue that's related to him, he's the ultimate accelerant. He makes anything bad significantly worse. I mean, I feel like I go back to so much of it is just it's about what makes these people the most amount of money, what gets the grift going. And some of the anti-vax stuff kind of started on the left many, many years ago. But the right has taken over that conversation completely. And 
it's about distrust in our institutions. It's about not trusting the government. It's about not trusting the president if he's a Democrat. It's this constant need to invalidate everything legitimate about our system. So it just plays into this greater idea of don't trust anyone except for us. Don't believe what you're hearing or reading unless it's coming from us. And so they really try to control the information space and the environment. And this is just another way that they do it. Yeah. And the anti-vax thing, I'm glad you mentioned that there were other origins of it because what two groups of people other than QAnon weirdos and yoga moms from Marin County, California, can you imagine hanging out together, right? Like it doesn't make any sense, but it never made any sense, right? Because even on the left, the science never backed up the causes autism and all that. And then you see what are the downstream effects of that, right? In a place like California, when my kids were babies, right, we had to get vaccinated again for whooping cough. Aunts, uncles, grandparents had to get vaccinated for whooping cough because whooping cough had become a thing, right? It had been eradicated and now it's killing babies again because, oh, well, you know, you shouldn't do this stuff. And it's like, okay, well, don't get vaccinated for COVID. Don't get vaccinated for whooping cough, measles, mumps, rubella, whatever. And it's like, okay, well, great. We'll have the early 20th century back again. And, you know, kids will die from scarlet fever. Like it doesn't make any goddamn sense. But here we are. I guess none of it makes any sense. Right. I remember my grandparents telling me about someone they knew who had polio. My uncle had polio, lost his hearing. Yeah, it's a real thing that happened. And I think we're enough generations removed now that there is not enough of those personal stories that sometimes people need to hear to understand how bad it is. It's scary. I've known people. I've lost a friend because he stopped feeling like he needed to vaccinate his kids. And at first it was this kind of, well, that's a lot at once. Maybe they just need to spread it out some more. And then it becomes, well, do we need both of those right now? And I feel for doctors, I feel for medical professionals who have to explain this to people. But I think it's gotten soft and, and easy and everyone seems to think we're all going to live forever. And, oh, these things just won't affect me or my children, or my family. And it's not the way that it works. No, the, the desire for immortality, I feel like, is a uniquely, well, it's a uniquely human thing in some way, but it's a unique American obsession, I feel like, <laughs> more than anybody else. Right? Yes. Well, and they've been kind of playing on that with some of it. There's this, I don't know if you've seen the Died Suddenly documentary, which is supposedly documenting young people, athletes who have suddenly had heart attacks and fallen down. Some of them have died, but they're trying to connect it to the vaccines. And it's correlation, not causation, right? It's sometimes people just die. And these conspiracy theories, they just ignore the fact that we haven't always lived to 90. And sometimes it is tragic when people fall over and die, but it does happen. And not everything is a conspiracy theory. There's not some greater, grander narrative that's manipulating us. Life happens. And somehow we've forgotten that. And just to use that, and then I want to move on, is a few weeks ago, remember, and I was happy to be watching the game when DeMar Hamlin collapsed. And suddenly now the anti-vaxxers, was he vaccinated? If he was vaccinated, this was probably the cause. So now you have a young man, his teammates and the other teams surrounding him, you know, the nation is captivated and worried, right? Because this young man, to your point, right, he's a young, healthy guy and boom, he goes down. And then almost without fail, almost instantaneously, Jay, the QAnon, the conspiracy theorists move in. And so there's also nothing that they won't intrude on. Oh, absolutely not. 
if they can sell a story, if they can sell something that their audience is going to believe and that plays into these this bigger narrative, this bigger anti-vax narrative, they're absolutely going to do it. And they've even gone further with Damar Hamlin. And there's some parts of QAnon and the far right that have claimed that he actually did die and that the man we're seeing now is a body double. And I've seen people say, well, if he would just show his face, then this would all go away. And it won't. That's not how it works. You don't disprove these things. You don't suddenly fact check them and, oh, they disappear. It doesn't matter what sort of evidence you put out there. They're going to keep saying it. They're going to keep spreading it. And their people are going to believe that. Now, that doesn't mean we shouldn't fact check them. That doesn't mean we shouldn't push back. We absolutely have to because we can't just let them control the information that is getting out to the public. But there is a whatever percentage you want to put it, 20, 30, 40 percent of people on their side that are listening to this are always going to believe whatever the conspiracy theory is. Their brain has been reprogrammed in a way to just assume the craziest idea must be the true one. And there are two ways that it makes it into the mainstream. One is an osmotic effect, right? They just say it enough, enough, enough. It seeps into some sort of consciousness. And then the other part is that the mainstream media covers it. But as I mentioned before, I had a previous guest. It's like, you know, you have to say, this is a lie. Here's what they said. What I just wrote was a lie, but they don't do it that way. Even if they're highlighting it to try and prevent credence, the mainstream media, both I think television and print and online, doesn't do a good enough job of laying the predicate that this is all bullshit. We just want to report to you how crazy this is. Yeah, it's that idea that you don't have to hear both sides if it's raining outside, if one person says it is and one says it isn't. No, it's either raining or it isn't. So, you know, as I mentioned to you, as we're recording this today, McKay Coppins from The Atlantic has a great article out on how desperately the establishment wing of the Republican Party, which is a rump, to say the least, and the donor community and some members of the conservative media desperately want Trump to go away. It's obviously they're all unnamed for the most part because, you know, God forbid they show any sort of fortitude, but they're like, you know, won't the guy just die already? And so I read the story and I was thinking about it. And I wrote this to McKay. I'm like, you know, when he dies and it could be tomorrow or it could be when he's 99, they will say the deep state killed him. They will say it's a conspiracy and a lot of people will believe it. So the idea that like, oh, you know, if he shuffles off the mortal coil, like suddenly all these people have like freedom. No, because you know what else they'll do? Like they'll go to his funeral and they'll all just talk about, you know, what an amazing leader he was and, you know, how we couldn't have done it without him and how America will be, you know, worse off without him. So like they'll all run back into the conspiracy. They all run back into, well, do you think it was the deep state? Well, I don't know. I mean, Jay, how could we tell it wasn't? Exactly. And when you, you think about QAnon and JFK Jr. supposedly came back and was a central figure and still is a central figure of that movement. It's these people, they have their ideas on what reality is, and they're going to make it work. They're going to jerry-rig it until it seems believable enough to them. But the idea that there is an establishment wing of the Republican Party that holds any real future is just kind of silly to me, as you, you talk about in that article, because I, I know there are establishment candidates and Nikki Haley and Mike Pompeo and Mike Pence. But if you look at what's being said out there, there's no trolling campaign for these people. There's no viral videos for these people. They're not cool. They're not with it. They're part of the past. And I think the party is increasingly held kind of to the whims of the influencers, of the MAGA tweeters and rumblers now. And 
we kind of have a good idea of where this is going. And even if it's not Trump, it's Trumpism light. And that's the party that they enabled. And I really hoped after January 6th that the Republican Party would really put their foot down and say no more to Trump. But they didn't. So let's talk about the influencer set. Who are these people? I know I want to talk specifically about Nick Fuentes, which you just did a podcast about. But how do these people attain such authority? And, and I want to say this because this is an unusual thing. It's not unheard of, but I feel like we've seen it taken to another level, which is whether or not it's a Fuentes, a Tucker Carlson, a Dan Bongino, Sean Hannity, whatever. These people wield political power, right? It's not electoral in nature, but it has a practical effect, I think. I agree completely. And I feel like there's kind of a, an information ladder in a way. And, and these influencers are part of it. And I think you get stories that start off small and they go to one kind of blog or YouTube account, and then it goes to a major influencer who then increases the awareness. Maybe they have another guest on to talk about it. And then it goes to Tucker. And then once it goes to Tucker, it's essentially policy for the Republican Party. And that's the kind of influence and power that these people have. And if you want to explain them, there's not really a checklist. They're not necessarily, oh, they have this degree or this experience in political campaigns. A lot of it is just, are you on message for the MAGA movement, for the things that we want to talk about? Are we defending Trump? Are we attacking Democrats? Are we spreading the conspiracy theory in the correct way that aligns with our narrative and what we want our base to believe. And if you keep doing that and you're online enough and you have enough content flowing constantly, then you get elevated. They go on each other's shows. If you look at like Steve Bannon and Charlie Kirk, there's America's Voice, there's TPUSA with Charlie Kirk, there's Bannon's War Room, but they also have Mike Lindell. He has his own platform. There's so many different streams. And I think even over the last couple of years, they've been crossing so much that even for me, even when I'm looking at it, I can't always tell who's on whose show or if they're going back and forth. And it's all about elevating the people that are on their, their side, their team that are saying the right thing. I said this on a TV show the other morning last week, Jay, is that the idea that the three candidates for the chair of the Republican National Committee were Ronna Romney McDaniel, remember that she is a Romney, even if she doesn't want anybody to remember it. Harmeet Dillon, who was a very conservative, but fairly mainstream conservative Republican until Trump. And then she dove deep into the MAGA swimming pool. And Mike Lindell, who got votes. And that's insane. These are the people in charge. When Mike Lindell goes on Steve Bannon and said, I'm going to hold Ronna McDaniel to her promise to work with me. Is that a normal and functioning mainstream ideology? It is not. No, but I think it was about 30% of Republican voters that were supportive of Lindell being the RNC chair. And it's shocking. If you don't watch that space, if you don't listen to their what they're saying every day, it is shocking. But for me, it sort of was, well, yeah, of course they do. Because the things that he's saying are insane. Constant stolen election stuff. You had the cyber ninjas in Arizona. He's still doing symposiums on how exactly the vote was supposedly stolen. It's all been disproven. It's been fact-checked. There's nothing there. But there are plenty of people in the MAGA media space that agree with this guy. They all have their MyPillow promo codes. Right. And it's a big get. And they're out there selling pillows and talking about what a patriot and what a hero and what an amazing man Mike Lindell is. 
And he's doing these media tours. He's going on Steve Bannon's show. He's got his own little streaming platform. So it is insane, but not to them because this is what they do. They take something that it can maybe have the tiniest sliver of truth, but even if it doesn't have that, they will make it be true. So much of the stolen election lies just wasn't anything real, but they just kept asking the question. They kept phrasing it in a way they, they're not committing libel. They don't actually want to have to go to court and pay damages, but they work very hard to kind of dog whistle to lies and conspiracy theories and protect themselves legally, but their audience knows what they're supposed to hear and what they're supposed to believe out of it. And so they just keep doing it. So yes, Mike Lindell, he should not be in charge of anything. It's an embarrassment but it has been normalized and their media sphere is able to do that because it is just constant. And I'll say this and then I want to get to Fuentes. So gosh, three years ago now, it's hard to believe this, Jay. I was outside the Civic Center in Manchester, New Hampshire, right before the 2020 New Hampshire primary and Trump was having a rally. And one thing I've noted before, but we should also note this, is that you know when Trump goes somewhere, it's a show. All the trucks are lined up, all the merch tables, people singing and dancing. There's ACDC and Journey and all the classic rock guitar riffs are playing on the loudspeakers because thousands and thousands of people have lined up. But to your point, even then, and I think it's probably worse now, if you asked a group of kids who'd come over from Vermont, the middle-aged couple, the older ladies, right, why they were there, it was like they got the facts that morning. And almost to a T, they said the same things. And Jay, the scariest part to me was not only that they said the same things, they said almost the same things in order. I mean, that's how efficient and effective a movement, a communications mechanism it was. It is, I should say. Yeah, they're really good at buzzwords. They're really good at priming their audience with the short little phrases. It's build the wall. It's lock her up. But they know how they can put a story out there. They know what their audience wants to hear. And so they build something up, they build something up. And then they don't even have to use the buzzwords because they know what they're saying. They know what they're supposed to believe. And then they go out and spread the message even further. Why do you think there's such an audience for this stuff? I think people are bored. There are plenty of problems with this country and plenty of things that we need to fix and work towards. But I think in general, we have a very high standard of living. And I think people just want to feel like they're part of something more. It's been compared to a video game, kind of a simulation. I see it more, I think, as kind of like this constant drama. It's like daytime soaps or something. and It never ends. And there's always a new villain. And a, there's always a new issue with critical race theory. Or the deep state has done a thing. Or someone has tried to frame Trump or whatever. It doesn't change a whole lot. The main themes don't change a whole lot, but it just never ends. And I think some of it is resentment and anger. And some people feel like they were left behind. And so if I can't have all the things that I want, I'm going to make you miserable too. And it's sad that that's the state of it. But I do think that's part of it. And I wish I knew how to convince people to stop, but they get so enthralled with these storylines, with these narratives, and they just don't want to. We should figure out someone to talk to, Jay, about if it's sort of a societal or sociological boredom, right, mixed with resentment, which is an interesting theory. Why people have turned away from like helping a neighbor, participating in their community, that kind of stuff. And like maybe it's because it's easy, right? You can do it at your desk. You can do it on your phone. You don't have to do anything. 
And to your point, I think we've heard this before too, that what you said about being part of something bigger than yourself, right? This existential fight, which I think also brings in that resentment, right? And we've had guests on before, and, and this is, I think, a real concern of mine that also does not get enough coverage, which is for many of these people, it is an existential fight. It is their way of life. And many of them, more of them than we'd like to believe, right? And this is not the 18-year-old unemployed white guy, right? These are middle-aged, professional people of means, educated often, who will do whatever it is necessary to preserve it. And I think January 6th was the preview of that or the opening act of that, but far from the only one. Yeah, January 6th was a kind of a good, you get a good idea of the people that we're dealing with and looking at. There are splinter movements and Nick Fuentes, who I know you, you want to talk about, does bring in some of the younger group. But by and large, the MAGA media space is older. They're not all poor. They are not all uneducated. It is different aspects of America, and we see it kind of all boiled into one. But there is just a constant theme of resentment and of looking for more. And I think January 6th was a warning. And I think, like we talked about, I hoped that the Republican Party would move away from this. I think we would like to have two normal functioning political parties in this country, but we don't. And instead of January 6th being a wake-up call, they've honestly gotten worse. They've gotten louder. Right now, they're more active on Twitter than they've ever been, thanks to its new ownership. And they don't seem to care if they win or lose elections. That used to be kind of the way that you would look to, oh, do we need to shift what we're saying, our messaging, our policies? And Ronna McDaniel, Ronna Romney McDaniel, wants to move the party back more to the center and the very online media space says no, and they blame her. And they blame her because she wants to move the party back to the middle. And they blamed her for Arizona was a big deal for MAGA in the midterms. Charlie Kirk was very active there with TPUSA, and they pushed all these election denial candidates, and they wanted to do well there. They wanted to prove that that shtick could result in election wins. Because they're still not over the fact that Arizona was the first state called for Biden when they were convinced that it would go to Trump. Absolutely. They talk about that a lot and they blame Fox News. And most of these guys like Tucker, but in general, they're fairly anti-Fox News a lot of the time. And they do think they had a plan to kind of push that stolen election narrative. And Arizona being called for Biden was a big problem and a big deal. So they doubled down. They went to Arizona. We're going to have these election denial candidates. We're going to have Kerry Lake and Mark Fincham and all of those candidates lost. And then what did they do? Did they have a moment where they stepped back and said, oh, well, okay, maybe it's on us. Maybe we had unpopular candidates. Maybe we had unpopular talking points. No, it was the exact opposite. It was Mitch McConnell didn't spend enough money here. Our candidates were great. We would have won if only the institutional moderate part of the Republican Party would have helped us. So everywhere you look, you just see a doubling down. You see Carrie Lake is still out there saying she's the governor. They just keep going. So that's where we're at. Let's talk about the doubling down. I mean, I think that's the one thing that I've tried to show people, whether or not it's Carrie Lake or Doug Mastriano or Blake Masters or any of the, you know, is when confronted with the choice of moderating because it's the politically both expedient and smart thing to do or going further into the rabbit hole, they always go further into the rabbit hole. They never moderate. They absolutely do. And you start to wonder, do you guys actually want to win? Well, remember too, and you can see this with the House Republicans is like governing is like a real job, right? Like you actually have to do stuff 
and they don't really like doing stuff. No, they don't. They don't like doing stuff because doing stuff is compromise, and these people do not compromise it. Right. And if they are going to be in power, Jay, because I think that it's the money and the power that are the two things, then it's authority without responsibility, authority with caprice, authority with I can do what I want, when I want, to whom I want, and you can't tell me. Governing is not in their DNA. Ruling is what I think they're looking for. Absolutely. And that's why they see moderate Republicans winning is a loss for them because they want to win, but it, only if it's their people. And if they can't have their people, if they can't have it their way, then fine, we'll just lose. They were not really all that upset that Mitch McConnell was not Senate Majority Leader. Because they hate him. Yeah, they hate him. They said, you know what? That's fine. He's not doing it our way. He's not doing what we wanted. So fine, give it to the Democrats. Because in that way, if the Democrats have power, then they are the opposition party and they are the constant perpetual opposition party. What is the House GOP right now with Kevin McCarthy barely scraping by and getting those last few votes? God only knows what he gave up to get them. I know we know some of it, but there has to be more. But what are they going to accomplish? What bill are they going to pass that'll be taken up by the Senate? It's not about that. It's about resentment and anger and revenge. And, oh, you investigated us for Russia and all this, and it was a hoax and it's not real. And it, and it was real. The bipartisan Senate intelligence report made it clear that this was a huge counterintelligence issue looking at Trump and his campaign's contacts with Russia and all these things. But it doesn't matter to them. It doesn't matter to the House GOP. They want to have all their little investigatory sprees going this way and that way at Russia, at China, at the deep state, all these things. And it's, yeah, it's not about ruling. It's not about making life better for Americans. It's about content. It's about controlling the narrative. And I think maybe they think this will help them in 2024. And with Trump being back on Twitter and, and the chaos just going up, 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 maybe it will. They haven't proven that yet. Though. No. And to your point about not helping anybody, the things so far that they have proposed doing, whether or not it's a scrapping the entire tax code and going to a 30% sales tax nationwide, or potentially doing a Thelma and Louise on the debt ceiling is going to hurt people that disproportionately would vote for Republicans, right? Which is white, middle and lower income individuals who cannot afford everything in their lives to be 30% more expensive, or certainly another hike in interest rates, which would make, it makes everybody's lives more expensive, but certainly not surprisingly, as always, these things happen more disproportionately hard on lower income Americans. And, you know, they don't care because to them it's the chaos. And what's also interesting, too, is a, there's a guy named Rick Smith who's a truck driver who has a great radio show that I've been on a couple of times. And he said, you know, he lives in central Pennsylvania and, you know, he's a teamster. And he said all his truck driver buddies, you know, they were all Mastriano people, all Mastriano people. And he said, guys, if Mastriano wins, like right to work is coming next and the union's going to be gone. And they're like, we don't care. We don't care. So when, you know, this whole narrative, which makes sense intellectually, but not emotionally of you're voting against your self-interest, like that's not how they see self-interest. They see self-interest as my way of life is in twilight and I don't like it. Yeah. And it's more important to take down your enemies or your who you've been told is your enemy than it is actually making anything better. And it's sad. And I mean, I think there's plenty of us that want everything to be better for all Americans. Right which is, you know, what a democracy is supposed to be, which is, and again, everything's imperfect. So let's be clear, there's utopia doesn't exist. But as the former speaker of the House of Representatives, Sam Rayburn once said, any jackass can kick a barn down, it takes a carpenter to build one. So speaking of someone who's a immense jackass, 
and dangerous at that. So there's a guy named Nick Fuentes, and he might be familiar to our listeners and our viewers as the guy who Trump had to dinner at Mar-a-Lago last month in December alongside Kanye West or Yee or whatever he's calling himself now. I'm not sure where he is. But Fuentes is a truly bad guy. He is a guy who extols the virtue of Hitler. He was just on video talking about how women should be covered from the neck to the ankles and to their wrists. I think that this is a guy, Jay, who, if he could be a fan in a soccer stadium in Kabul, as they chopped women's hands off, he would probably cheer loudly. You know, vicious anti-Semite. Tell us about how this guy, and let's be clear too, is that in the wake of that dinner, Jay, everyone was anti-Kanye, anti-Fuentes, but really nobody mentioned Trump. So I want to talk about that too, but tell us a little bit more about Fuentes directly. Nick Fuentes is young. He's 24 years old. He, like you said, is is a Holocaust denier. I think something that isn't talked about enough is, yeah, his misogyny, his hatred of women, and he wants some really antiquated ideas to be put into practice. And he has an audience of young men who are disillusioned, feel like the world has left them behind. And their answer to that is to do some very extreme things like removing the rights of women to vote. And he talks about women essentially not leaving the house without a veil, as you, as you mentioned, stuff, groups like the Taliban or the laws that are in place in Iran are appealing to them. So they, in some ways, want to take us back to the Stone Age. And I think it is easy to dismiss guys like this as horrible people that we would just best ignore and, and keep in the background. But like you said, he did have that dinner with Trump and he is still very active, growing an audience. He was on Twitter for less than 24 hours when he was reinstated this past week because of his virulent anti-Semitism, which he apparently just could not rein in even a little. But he's still on Telegram. He's still on Truth Social and Gab and, and his own streaming platforms. And he's still putting out this content all the time. And he was a major figure in the 2020 pro-Trump stolen election lies. He, he got paid hundreds of thousands of dollars to do this. He has been defended by some in the, in the MAGA media space because some of them also support Kanye West. He has a message. He has people who support him and he's going out there and he's spreading it. And I think these young men who should know better but unfortunately, some people don't. And some people see him as a kind of idol, as making men feel empowered once again. And it is, it's unfortunate, but in this internet age, there is an audience for that. And he's managed to stay online. And we need to be aware of it because I think he will pop up in the next two years with the presidential election coming up. You can't always predict how these people are going to be out there and gaining influence. But he was outside the Capitol on January 6th telling people to go inside. So I think he's going to be back. We talked a little bit a few minutes ago about the fact that, you know, some of the people who are the main adherents of Trump and everybody are sort of middle-aged, educated, wealthy white guys. But we should not underestimate that there's this significant, I'm going to use the phrase foot soldier, and I hope it doesn't come to fruition, that are these angry young white guys who a lot of them, you know, are incels, I guess we'd call them, right? Involuntarily celibate. They have no social capacity or desire, it appears, to talk to women in any sort of healthy way. The Proud Boys fit right into this as well. Who are these guys? Are they fraternity guys? Are they just dudes sitting in an apartment smoking weed, just pissed off at the world? Who is he appealing to? They're almost primarily under 30, 
I think some of them are probably in college. There are chapters of, there's something called Students for Ye or Kanye West, and there are chapters at colleges around the country, and they are competing with groups like TPUSA with a more extreme, a more anti-Semitic kind of gospel that they're preaching. So you do have college kids and some dropouts and some young men who are starting their careers. You will get some people who are kind of in this lifestyle who try to stay anonymous and try to go about having a normal, somewhat normal life, but they're out there. It's hard to put a number on them, but I will say there are questions for me if I look at a group like TPUSA and Charlie Kirk, and I wonder how organic, how real is this following you have? They have these events where they have people show up and there's fireworks and all this, so they, they get a lot of interest. But how much is the average person, 25-year-old, 30-year-old, really care about what you're doing? But with Nick Fuentes, if he says a thing on Telegram, on whatever social media he's still allowed to be on, his followers listen. If he says, go make this trend on Twitter, they go do it. And they've had some rallies. They've had some events where they show up. He has real influence. And he has some politicians who are absolutely going there and speaking with him and agree with him. But the followers he has are, they're committed. They are part of this movement. They like Kanye and Trump for the same way. Part of it is because people hate them. They like things that you hate, even if it's bad. They will praise Hitler because they see him as strong and they are very anti-Semitic. They are very hateful. They are pushing these terrible messages, but they want to be what you hate. So it's this sort of just transgressive, like dopamine rush. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and if you say anything bad about Nick Fuentes on Twitter, you're liable to get 10, 20, 30 anonymous accounts show up and tell you how wrong you are. Let me ask you this, because electorally, let's talk about votes for a second. Charlie Kirk may want nothing to do with Fuentes publicly, but at some point in an election, these groups are likely to march, metaphorically speaking, and let's hope it's just metaphorically, next to one another in support of Donald Trump or the MAGA candidate, whoever it might be. Whoever that might be. Yeah, it, sometimes they have fights and sometimes they have kind of pretend fights because they want attention. And sometimes they just, part of the way they recruit is saying, oh, our thing is better than their thing. But when it really comes down to it, when the money starts flowing, and if it is Donald Trump, then the money is going to be flowing from him. And so it's going to go to anyone who will be on side, who will push that messaging, who will amplify the narratives that he wants people to listen to. So they're going to hem and haw, and there may be a little separation here and there. But really, even though they try to kind of always keep that, there really isn't a lot different from them. And at the end of the day, if Trump is dominating all the headlines, if he's the one that's getting the most attention, if he's the one that everyone is saying, oh, you can't support him because of this, this, and this, all these bad things that you did, they'll say, that's exactly why we should. We love that about him. That's our favorite thing about him. Oh, you, you hate that he did that? Wow, I hope he goes and does it again. Right. And that's the interesting thing you made sort of reference to it too, which is Trump is running these other candidates, looks like they're gearing up for a run. And I would venture to say that none of them will mention Donald Trump in their announcement speeches. It'll be about generations or leadership or whatever the BS is that come up with. But I could also see a situation in which if by some happenstance, I would think it would take a miracle for one of these people to beat Trump, that there's a good chance that the likes of Trump and Roger Stone will make sure that whoever it is never gets elected. Because to your point, they'd rather lose and have an enemy than the person they don't like or see as impure be elected. Absolutely. And I, I don't know how many of these people just wouldn't vote 
like you said, there will always be conspiracy theories if Trump dies. And if he did die of natural causes, I still think 20 to 30 percent of the Republican Party might vote for him. And maybe another percent might not vote at all. You know what? Let's extend the conspiracy theory to him losing the nomination. Yeah, it was rigged. It was always rigged. And honestly, Roger Stone pushed this Stop the Steal. And I think people forget that Stop the Steal originated in the primaries because they thought Ted Cruz was going to steal it from Trump. There's always someone working against them. There's always someone trying to undermine the movement. There's always someone trying to take them down. It's never themselves. It's never sabotage or something that they've done. So yeah, I think Roger Stone had a quote a, a while back that I remember, and he said something about Ron DeSantis is a good governor of Florida and he should stay there. Right. Which is <laughs> praise and a, and a threat. <laughs> yeah. And my gut tells me Roger's probably going to get his wish. All right. Before we get out of here, Jay, where can folks find your work online? Where can they find your podcast? Our website is didnothingwrongpod.com. You'll find our newsletter and podcast there. The Did Nothing Wrong podcast should be available on Apple, iTunes, all the normal places you you find your shows. And I am James, the word for the letter M on Twitter. And that's where we're putting out content. As always, gang, you can find me on Twitter and TikTok being trolled ruthlessly at Reed Galen on Instagram at Reed underscore Galen underscore LP. Jay, I want to thank you for joining me today and everybody else. We'll see you next time. Thanks again to everyone for listening. Be sure to follow and subscribe to The Lincoln Project on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or however you listen. Don't forget to leave a five-star review. To connect with us, follow us on Twitter, at Project Lincoln, and for more information on our movement, to join our mailing list, subscribe to our newsletter, or make a contribution to our efforts, visit lincolnproject.us. If you want to message the podcast directly, please send an email to podcast at lincolnproject.us. And if you want to personally join the fight to save our nation's democracy, visit jointheunion.us. For The Lincoln Project, I'm Reed Galen. I'll see you on the next episode. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m. and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com.